Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, I want to talk to you the title. If I was going to give uh, the message a a title, I would say, don't let the fire go out. Don't let the fire go out. Debbie is a lover of real fires. I mean, uh, in the fireplace, not. I mean, she's not an arsonist. Um, But she loves, uh, you know, I would be happy if it looks pretty close to real. It doesn't have to be exactly real. If it's close, uh, if I can turn on the switch, I'm good and have a a nice fire. Hey, who doesn't like a real fire? It's just that if you got a fire, you got to tend the fire, right? I mean, you got to have good wood. If, you, if the wood's green, if the wood's wet, then you're messing around using the starter logs, trying to get it, get the heat in there and get it to go. And, and then, you know, you, you got to have the good wood. And, and when you have the good wood, it's really awesome. But then after the fire, you got to clean it up. And, and, you know, there's all of the maintenance of that kind of thing. Because the fact of the matter is, a real fire requires tending. It doesn't, if you don't tend it, what happens is even a beautiful fire will very quickly begin to die down. And if you don't do anything, it's not long before you're looking at just embers on the floor of the fireplace or on the logs themselves. With all of that as a backdrop, I was reading this a couple weeks ago in my one-year Bible. I was going through Leviticus, and the first part of Leviticus lists for us the burnt offerings. So there's five different burnt offerings that Leviticus lists for us. The first one is, is or sacrifices. The first one is the burnt offering. It's called in Hebrew the olah, it means to ascend. The idea is it goes up in smoke. The whole offering is totally consumed. It's an act of devotion, symbolic of everything that's there goes up to God as if to say, God, all of me is yours. That's the burnt offering. Then the other offering, some of the others, there's the grain offering, and that's a thanksgiving offering, and part of it would be burnt on the altar, part of it would be given to the priests. And then there's the peace offering, which is a a fellowship offering, and, and it would be offered, part of it again, given to the priest, part of it consumed, part of it even eaten by the person offering it. Then there would be the sin offering, and the fifth one would be the guilt offering, the difference being between the two of them. uh, One would be for intentional sin, one would be for unintentional sin. You did something, you didn't know about it, but now all of a sudden you find out, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I sinned. Now you're going to have to offer a guilt offering. In Leviticus chapter 6, it's talking about the regulations for the first of those offerings, the burnt offering. And as I was reading through it, I noticed something that jumped out. It appeared three different times in those verses, a phrase, an instruction. And I'd been thinking already in light of what God is doing in this place, through the fall, I just kept thinking about the fire of the Lord that is 
burning in this place. And honestly, there's a sense of, of intimidation. I'm just being honest with you. I've, I've never been a part of something like this, been responsible to shepherd something like this. On the one hand, the last thing I want is what I can manufacture. I don't want to do that. On the other hand, I want to be faithful to what God is doing. And it's obvious that he has started something here, that he has lit a fire in this place that's unique. And so my heart has been, God, help me to, to do my part in keeping the fire burning and tending the fire. And, and then as I was reading in Leviticus, I come to chapter six and I read these words in verse nine. Give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. You can't let it go out. You got to make sure everything's burned up. You got to make sure everything ascends. Then it says again in verse 12, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. If God says anything once, it's really important. If he says it's twice, it's like, hey, heads up. This is really important. Every morning, the priestess had firewood and arranged the burnt offering on the fire and burned the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. Then in verse 13, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So I read that. I was thinking, why, why did the fire need to be kept burning? And I want to give you a couple of things I believe have to do with keeping the fire burning. It needs to be kept burning because the burnt offering symbolized total devotion. It symbolized the commitment of the worshiper. Nothing was to be left on the altar, nothing left of the sacrifice. It was as if in their devotion to God, they had given absolutely every ounce, every inch, every part to God, totally consumed by him. It's interesting when you read the Bible, you find that the burnt offering that it would be offered, there was a burnt offering that the priest would make of a lamb at the start of the day, the morning sacrifice, the morning offering at nine in the morning. And the people, the worshipers would gather at the temple to pray. When you read in Luke chapter one, what's happening there with Zachariah is the burnt offering is being sacrificed. And, and one of the priests would take the coals off that altar, would go into the holy place and the altar of incense. They would put the coals on that table and sprinkle incense and it would rise up symbolic of the prayers going up to God. It was the time of the burnt offering in the morning. And then in the evening, the evening sacrifice would happen at three in the afternoon. And again, there would be a burnt offering. Jesus, incidentally, dies at the time of the evening sacrifice, the burnt offering, totally giving all that he is, giving himself up to God in totality for us. A beautiful example of that. Why a morning and why an evening 
burnt offering. It's a reminder that at the start of our day and at the end of our day, there's a call from God that we would be totally devoted, that we wouldn't just be devoted on Sunday. We wouldn't just be devoted on Wednesday night. We wouldn't just be devoted in our devotional time. But at the start of the day, at the end of the day, there's a commitment to the Lord that says, God, I'm all yours. Have all of me. It's the burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 13. The fire must be kept burning on the altar. And then it adds this word, continuously. It must not go out. That word continuously in the Hebrew is tamid. It's the first time it's used in the Old Testament. And it speaks of, of a, a ritual, the sacrificial ritual. In fact, the commentator Samuel Ballantyne says this, the Tamid rituals, the continual burning, the burnt offering sacralize the virtue of piety as a perpetual, habitual, and constant mode of living. In other words, when the fire is burning, we keep the fire burning so that we can constantly, so that we can continually, so that we can totally give ourselves to God. It says regular, not occasional acts of worship, anchor a life in God and enable a ceaseless orientation to God. Listen, what happens is when you and I are totally devoted to God, it orients us to God. It's like a compass. It's, it's like true north on the compass. Yeah. To whatever degree you are not totally devoted to God, you're off. And if you're off just a little bit and you're off for a little bit for a long time, what happens is you find yourself way out here instead of being on course. There's a value in total devotion. It orients us to the plan of God, the purpose of God, the presence of God. It's true north on the compass. It shows us where to head. Is your fire burning? Is it hot? Are you keeping the fire in your heart burning all the time? Our life's an offering to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, we see this in the New Testament, and most scholars believe that Paul has in mind in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 the burnt offering. The Olah, the ascending, the total devotion. Look at what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present. This is the idea of surrender, to offer, to sacrifice. Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, that's set apart, that's pure and acceptable to God. In other words, it's, it's totally devoted to God. And notice it says, which is your spiritual. I put logical because that's really the word there. We get our word logic from the word that's used there in the Greek. Spiritual worship, you know, people are like, well, what does that mean? No, what it's saying is, in light of all that God has done, in light of what he did to save you, in light of how much he loves you, the only rational, the only logical response to that is, he gave all for you. Now, you and I should give all for him. It's logical. It's, it's illogical to be lacking in devotion. It doesn't make sense. 
It doesn't make sense to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. It doesn't make sense to be half-hearted in your devotion to God so you're serving him some of the time, but not all of the time. It doesn't make sense to have a fire in your heart that's barely burning. It doesn't make sense. Jesus said as much. I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. Remember Revelation chapter 3? His word to the church at Laodicea, but because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He wants, he wants people who are on fire for him. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us tamid, let us, let us, let us orient our life. Let us have a, an orientation full-time, full-on toward the things of God, offering God a sacrifice of what this time praise. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. One of the ways to, to evaluate your devotion to God is to examine the speech that comes out of your mouth. How much praise does God get? Does he get more complaints or does he get more praise? Does he get more, God, thank you. You're so good to me. God, thank you for your help here. God, thank you for going. Does he get that? And, and when people come to you, how did you do that? Oh, God, he helped me. When your heart's on fire for God, you just recognize you're oriented to God. You're, you recognize his help. You recognize your need of his help. You recognize his presence and your heart overflows with thanksgiving for his help. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? It's what happens when your heart's on fire. But when a person's heart's on fire, praise for God goes out the door. And usually is substituted by complaints, by criticism, by all kinds of other things. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What this is saying is don't let your fire go out. Listen, see what happens to a lot of people is a lot of people, they, they move from episode to episode of times when they're on fire for God, but then it kind of starts to go out and then they have to get in, in a certain kind of service or they have to have a certain kind of touch or they have to have before they're back on track. Or heaven forbid, they have to have some tragedy in their life before they're like, whoa, I gotta get my act together. I gotta start looking to God because my life's falling apart. How much better to be totally on fire, totally dialed in, totally saying, you know what, God, my life is yours. I'm all yours and I'm all in. I love the way the message puts this. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. You do it. Our responsibility, God lights the fire. Our responsibility is to keep it going which is the second thing I want you to notice there. The fire needed to be kept burning because the fire was started by God. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. You see, when you're in chapter six of Leviticus, you're just getting the instructions about the burnt offering. You get to chapter nine. Now they're gonna, now they're gonna offer the first burnt offering. Look at it. Leviticus 9.23, Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. This is a huge moment. 
fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed what? The burnt offering. God starts the fire. He lights the fire. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. It's a powerful thing when God lights that fire in your heart. It's our job, though, to keep it burning. Let me just give you this principle. It's a spiritually deadly thing to stop what God has started in you. It's a spiritually deadly thing to, to have a fire burning in you and somehow through complacency, somehow through, through a lack of attention to find the fire that once burned bright, now just embers. That's a dangerous place. And I would just say prophetically and say out of pastoral concern for you, there are some of you here tonight and that's exactly where you're at. We've come through the week of prayer and you're no different than you were a week ago. Your fire is diminished. Oh, you can go through the motions. You can play the game. But inside, there, there, there's not a red, hot, fiery love for God. The fire is starting to go out. I want to interject something here because I think it, it's a similar idea to what we're talking about here. In Exodus 27, in the tent of meeting outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites for the generations to come. So when you were to come into the tabernacle there, which was a, initially before there was a temple, there was a tent, it was called the tabernacle. There were two chambers in the tabernacle. There was the holy place. And then there was a curtain and behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And that was the most holy place or the Holy of Holies. The priest could only go in there once a year. And then only after offering a number of sacrifices for his sin, the sin of the people, atonement, all of that. But the priest would go regularly every day into the holy place and he would go in and there would be on this side, there would be the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel in the front up against the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was the altar of incense. We talked about it just a moment ago where they would take coals from the altar outside that were burning. They would put incense, smoke would rise up, symbolic of the prayers of God's people. And on the left would be this lampstand made out of 75 pounds of gold. And what it's talking about there is that lampstand had, had different fingers coming up or, or lamps that they were to keep lit there to illuminate that area. It's a picture really of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit illuminates the fire of the Spirit. When, when it's burning bright, the Holy Spirit is illuminating God's word to us. Jesus said he, when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and make it known to you. He reveals God to you. He reveals the will of God to you, the word of God to you. He magnifies Jesus to us. He makes Jesus bigger and bigger. That's what he does. 
He, he makes us more like Jesus. We all are being transformed into his likeness by the Lord who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3 says. But that candle, that lamp, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read this. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. What's happening here is Eli is the high priest of Israel, and Eli is, has let the lamp go out in his heart. He's let the fire burn out. His physical condition is a picture of his spiritual condition. He can't see. He can't see what God's doing. He can't sense what God's doing. And notice in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. What's gonna happen here is you've got Samuel, the young boy, and he's laying down in the tabernacle. He's in the holy place. He's laying as close to the presence of God as he can possibly get. He's probably in there because he's the one who's tending the lamps. And God is calling out to Samuel, Samuel, it's so loud that when Samuel hears it, he's eight years old, he runs over. Eli's not anywhere near the presence of God. He goes and he, he goes to Eli. He thinks that it's Eli calling him and he says, yeah, did you call me? Here's Eli. He can't hear the word of the Lord. But here's what he can do. He can tell Samuel how to. Can you think of anything more tragic than being able to tell other people how to hear from God but not hear from God yourself? Can you think of anything more tragic than to have God moving in a place and be blind totally to it because you're disinterested in the things of God because internally the lamp's gone out? That's what's happening here. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. What's happening is that lamp in the tabernacle, it's gonna go out and when it does, the ark's gonna be captured. Tabernacle worship's gonna, gonna come to a, not, not a complete halt, but it's gonna be significantly diminished and death's gonna set in. Eli and his sons are gonna die on the same day. You see, what happens is when the, when the fire goes out in you, you, you still know how to do some things. It's kind of like the alcoholics who, who's at the bar and he can tell everybody else about the Bible and explain the Bible, he just can't live it himself. It's a terrible thing to be in that place where you can explain spiritual truth and spiritual practice to other people but not live it yourself. I mean, this is what we're talking about with the fire. This is why we have to keep the fire burning. Leviticus 9.23, let's look at it again. Moses and Aaron then went to the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. God started the fire. It was their job to keep it going. I'm gonna have the musicians come. Listen, God started a fire in you the day you were saved. And there's other fires that God has started in you. 
I can think of two of them. The first one would be the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it was, it was fire. I mean, John says that in Matthew chapter three. He says this, he will baptize you, speaking of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, or in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And in Acts, on Acts chapter two, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. Fire fell. It's a baptism in fire. So here's what I want to ask. If you've been filled with the Spirit, are you stirring that fire? Are you tending that fire? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me help you on that. Do you speak in tongues every day? If you don't, you're not tending the fire. If you don't, you've lost sight of the value of that gift. That he who speaks in a tongue talks to God, not to men. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 as well, he who speaks in a tongue strengthens, he edifies himself. You could build yourself up. You could stir the fire. You could kindle the fire when you're speaking in tongues. If I want to talk spiritual talk to you, it helps if I pray in a spiritual language before I do it. It kindles the fire. It strengthens. It builds the fire. Our job is, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Not to go from, from this episode of receiving to five months later or five years later being refilled, but every day being filled. Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command. In the Greek, you could read it one of two ways, both of them a command. It could be in the present passive imperative where it would read, be being kept filled, constantly being filled. Or it could be in the present middle imperative where it would read like this, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, fill yourself full of the Holy Spirit. Because honestly, and I, think I favor that understanding, that tense, because you and I have a part to play. You and I, we have to make sure that we're being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're saying, God, here I am, and I wanna be full of you, and I'm gonna speak in this heavenly language you've given me. And as I do that, there is a interaction and a filling and an empowering and a building up of the fire that happens. And if you don't do that, the fire goes out the fire that God started, the fire that he told you to maintain. I'm just simply saying, once you're full of the Holy Spirit, stay full. Once he's lit the fire, keep it burning. I can think of another fire God lights in people, and it's a gift or an ability given by God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. When we're talking about gift in this sense, I'm not talking about your natural ability, like you're good with numbers, or you're, you got the winsome personality, or you're, you're uh, very athletic, or whatever gift it is. You got the gift of sales. Some people are just so gifted, it's watching themselves like watching a concert violinist. I mean, honestly, it's a gift. 
And God gives all of us talents and abilities, but this is a, this is a bit of a different one. This is one that came through the laying on of hands. This is a gift that God gave him. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you gotta fan that thing into flame. Just because God has given you a gift or set his hand on you, doesn't mean you and I don't have a responsibility to fan into flame that gift, to keep that fire burning. You say, what is the gift? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter four and verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching, do not neglect your gift. That's the gift which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. What's happening? Timothy's at Ephesus, and as he's there, it's a wild church, and there are people that are opposing him, and he's intimidated, and he's backing down, and he's not exercising the gift God has given him, and Paul says, you gotta do that. In fact, I would suggest to you that a part of being devoted to God and surrendering ourselves to God is in that moment, the discovery of things God has placed in us that we didn't know were there. Things that, you know, here's, the, here's what I think gets a lot of people in trouble and where a lot of people miss the grace of God in their life is they only do what they enjoy doing or what they want to do or what they feel like doing or what they like to do. Because really, in some sense, their service is about them. It's about the gratification they get from serving. Versus saying, God, my life is a sacrifice and all of me belongs to you. And that means I'm just here as a sacrifice to serve. Probably the greatest illustration of that concept that I'm aware of for me personally is Debbie. I mean, I was married to Debbie for 20 years and didn't see any of the things we see in Debbie today. And just didn't see it. You know what unleashed it? We had had a couple of different people who had led the women's ministry and we needed somebody to lead the women's ministry. And Debbie, Debbie told me this, these were Debbie's words. I don't like, I don't like hanging out with women. I don't wanna lead a women's ministry. So she's like trying to find people and she can't find anybody. And she said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go get a hotel room. I'm gonna spend the day praying. So she goes and she, she goes to that room and she prays all day. And at the end of the day, the Lord has put his hand on her life and transformed her. And she said, God, listen, if I have to do it, I'll do it. But God, the bottom line is I just wanna do your will. And she came out of there saying, I believe God wants me to do it. And all of a sudden, that began to unleash something in her because once, you, once you're on fire for God and you're yielded to God, now all of a sudden, God can steer you and work in you and speak to you in a way that a lot of people never hear him speak because they'll never, they'll never yield themselves enough to be fully devoted to him. So I can remember Debbie goes, she, she goes over to, um, to Hillsong on the plane. God puts a scripture on her heart. She's crying on the plane and weeping is this scripture. 
She walks into a Friday morning meeting at Hillsong where Bobby is leading. When they walk in, their, their hair, they did their hair with the hand dryers at the uh, airport because you know they had bedhead and all that from uh, the long flight. And so Debbie says, you know, we, we don't feel you know, like we look that great, but we walk in there and Bobby says, oh, let's welcome our American friends. And they clap and they sit him on the front row and Bobby opens the scripture to the very scripture that God had been dealing with Debbie on the plane about. Debbie comes home from that trip. She says to me, the next day after she gets back, it's early in the morning, I'm making coffee and I've got my back to her. I can still remember it. I've got my back to her and she says, uh, I felt like the Lord really spoke to me. I said, really? I said, what did, what did he say? Well, he says that, and at this point, you know, we've never had more than 400 women at anything we've ever done. So she says, I, I think the Lord has told me he's gonna fill the auditorium. You know, we only have this campus at that time too. Fill the auditorium uh, full of women for a women's meeting. And I didn't say anything. She said, what do you think? I said, well, that'd be something. <laughs> you see, because I didn't see in her what God had placed in her. You see, sometimes, and I would say this, some of you, God has placed something in you, and the fact nobody else sees it, that doesn't matter. Because sometimes people just don't know. They just don't know. But you see, when you're wholly, wholeheartedly devoted, and you yield yourself, God has gifts that he's put in you that you will never know until you come to that place of saying, God, light me on fire. I just want to burn for you. I want to burn for your glory. I want to give myself to you. Paul says to Timothy, man, you got to fire up that gift. So I want to ask you, I, I want to ask you, what God, gifts has God given you? I want to ask you, are you stirring up the fire that he's already placed in you? And I want to ask you this, how on fire are you for God? How would you rank your, the fire in your heart for him? Is, is, are you burning as full of zeal? Are you as on fire for God as you've ever been in your life? And if not, why? And if not, do you realize it's not because you've matured. It's because something has been lost. You haven't tended the fire. And so I really feel like this. I feel like God, I mean, I preach if, if it feels like I'm going like this, just remember one finger's pointing at you and two and a half are pointing at me, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, what? See, I don't, I don't have a little pinky there. So, you know, this is something I've been preaching to myself all fall, and then when I read this, I mean, it just blew up in my mind. And it's what I think, it's what I desire, it's what I want, it's what I know God will honor, and it's what God wants for you. If he wants it for me, it's because he wants it for you, right?